All right, I want to welcome everybody again to Word of Hope Church, and uh, we are moving into our message time. And we are in a series called Money Talks. And uh, yeah, my money talks, it says goodbye. <laughs> that's, what, that's what my money always says. But uh, basically, uh, we call it Money Talks because we're talking about money. And so we're having talks about money. And so uh, that is our series. Uh, I need to turn on a mic here. So that is our series, is Money Talks. Um, and uh, again, uh, thank you so much for joining us. By the way, if you're on Facebook uh, watching this live, on Facebook Live, could you like click a like or... Uh, make a comment. I'm here. I'd like to just see who all who all showed up, who all came, and and uh, they told us in the districts like, don't bother taking attendance. You know, <laughs> don't even try. It's like, well, you know, what if we have 300 views like we did last time? Can we boost our numbers to like, oh, we had 300 in church? Uh, no, nah, that probably isn't right. But um, to get started today, today's message is called Blessed Income, and I just want to ask you: Is your income blessed? Or is it cursed? And uh, we're going to take a little quiz here. And let me get it over here. Uh, so as we go through these questions, I just want you to answer them yes or no. Maybe take out a piece of paper or just keep count of how many yeses you have. And so as, uh, as we do it, just keep count of how many yeses we have. Uh, and then uh, I'll tell you how to score your little quiz here. There's 10 questions. First one, no matter how hard I work at it, I can never get ahead. Do you feel that way? Yes or no? Okay, next one. The cost of living outpaces my wage increases year after year. I mean, like I could write it down on paper. Year after year, the cost of living outpaces my wage increases every year. Number three, Money seems to just evaporate from my accounts. It just disappears like steam coming off the road. Yes or no? Number four, I'm constantly spending money to fix or replace stuff that breaks. Ugh. Have you ever had that? I'm constantly spending money. Is that way you feel? Yes or no? Yes or no? I, I know that I waste a lot of money on stuff that's here than gone. Okay, last week I spent, I noticed uh, that if I would looked at my checkbook to see what my priorities are, uh, I would see that, wow, I spent a lot of money on foofy coffee. Uh, I go to Scooters or Starbucks or Black Hills Blend or all those different places. And uh, it's like, maybe I spend too much there. So I know I waste a lot of money on stuff that's here than gone, yes or no. Number six. It worries me that my retirement account is growing way too slowly. Yes or no? It worries me. You feel this way. Lack of finances stresses me out to the max. Are you feeling stressed by lack of finances? Number eight, I have very little pleasure in the condition of my finances. Yes or no? Number nine, I often wish I had a different house or car. I don't enjoy mine. Yes or no on that one. Number 10, it bums me out that I don't have a certain thing. And so I'm bummed out that I don't have a certain computer. I wish I had that one. Uh, a certain tablet. I'm kind of bummed out that I don't have this certain phone or a camper or a boat or a cabin or a tool or an outfit or a gun. It's like I'm kind of bummed out. So if you felt that way, put a yes down. All right? 
So count up your yeses, and we'll talk about that here in, in just a minute. But if you have, by the way, just to make this fun, if you have zero, one, or two yeses, uh, put your score in the comments, okay? A zero, one, or two. If you have more than two, just, just, <laughs> just sit tight, okay? But zero, one, or two, go ahead and do a little bragging. Uh, biblical principles. Last week, uh, I asked you the question, do you manage your money or does your money manage you? And I gave you six biblical principles for properly managing money, uh, stewarding the money that God allows to pass through your hands. That's what's happening. God is allowing a certain amount of money in your lifetime to pass through your hands. And how do you steward that? How do you manage that money for his glory? And so we had these six principles. Take control of money. And we had verses that go with them. By the way, the sermon note guide, I tried to email a link out, and so did Pastor Liz, to the sermon note guide uh, or an attachment. And you can get that and download it. And it looks kind of like that. And I made it full page just because that's easier uh, for a PDF to go out and print on most people's printers. If you don't have that, you can just take notes or just, uh, we're going to record this and put it up somewhere. Take control of money, so that's Proverbs 21.5. Grow your earnings, spend less than you earn, invest to make money to grow, avoid debt, and give. Those were six principles that the Bible talks about how to manage money to the glory of God. And if you apply biblical principles to management of money, you'll, you'll grow your income. You'll grow, your, your, uh, you'll grow money. All right, so these can be summed up really easily in John Wesley's quote that I shared with you last week. Having first gained all you can, and secondly saved all you can, then give all you can. <laughs> Say, uh, gain all you can. If you can make money, make money. Save all you can. Uh, be prudent with it. Uh, uh, buy stuff on sale, okay? Save that way. Uh, and then give all you can. Gain all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. So today I want to give you a seventh principle and that principle is extremely powerful in your financial life. I'm telling you it is. You're some, if you're not familiar with this teaching, many of you are, but if you're not, then you're going to maybe feel like this is hocus-pocus or mystic, mystical stuff that a preacher will say for his own advantage. And it's like, if you're feeling that way, please suspend your cynicism. Okay, this is a, pro, this is a promise from the Bible. Uh, it's an extremely powerful principle in your financial life. It's one that takes your money out from under a curse of the world and puts it under the blessing of God, okay? Did you know, and this I, I came to this conclusion as I was preparing this message, did you know that most of the money in this world is under a curse? And you'll figure out why here in a few minutes. But most of the money in this world is actually under a sort of curse. Not that the money itself is evil, but those who have most of the money in the world are actually under a kind of curse, according to the Bible. Most of the money sitting in people's bank accounts or stuffed in their mattresses is actually bringing a curse into people's lives. And the curse has a name. Jesus called it the spirit of mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N, mammon. The spirit of mammon is a truly demonic spirit that, is, that encourages 
and is drawn to greed. It's drawn and encourages materialism and excessiveness. Money that is under this curse has this demonic spirit attached to it. I told you it was going to be a little mystical today. The curse of mammon brings harmful consequences into the lives of those who possess that money that is cursed. Okay? And Malachi 3 describes some of the effects of this curse uh, kind of in a backwards way that we'll look at here in a minute. But it describes the fact that heaven's floodgates are shut to those people with that cursed money. Uh, There's no sense that you're being blessed. It feels like you're under a curse, and there's barely enough to squeak by. by. Heaven's floodgates that would open up and let the the money just pour out or the provision just be there seems like it's shut. It's stopped up. There's a great big fat cork in heaven. Okay? Secondly, Malachi 3 indicates that pestilence is eating the prophets. Uh, Stuff keeps breaking, nothing lasts, continually continually need to spend money on the same thing to get back to functionality. Money seems to just leak out of your account, and you don't know where it goes. Pestilence is eating the profits. Uh, Thirdly, your efforts seem to bear little effort, or bear little fruit, rather. Your, Your great effort bears little fruit. It seems like you have to work way too hard to get what little return on your investment that you get. The, in other words, the hurrier you go, the behinder you get. Okay? And then fourth uh, effect of this curse thing is that you're unable to delight in what you have. You don't enjoy what you have. There's dissatisfaction that reigns. So this quiz at the beginning, the quiz that we did at the beginning is a little measure of how many of these effects uh, of the curse of mammon you might be experiencing. The more yeses you have, the more you're experiencing mammon's curse. The more yeses that say, yeah, I, I feel like that, I feel like that, I feel like that. God said to his people, you're all under a curse. This is what God said to, to the Israelites in, in Malachi. He said, you're all under a curse, the whole nation of you. And this curse is shutting the floodgates of heaven. It's letting pests eat your profits. It's causing your investments to shrivel. And it's making you miserable about your finances. How did Israel fall under the curse of mammon? What was it that positioned Israel to be under a curse in the first place? Well, God gives them the answer in this little back and forth exchange that he speaks through Malachi. So let's look at it. And look at these verses. If you want to open your Bible to Malachi 3, that's where we're going to be. And verse 6 says this, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. That's how he starts it. In other words, because God is gracious and loving and merciful yesterday, today, and forever, he doesn't change in that mercifulness, the people of God were not destroyed. Okay, even though they deserve to be and their lifestyle was a destructive lifestyle, God is always merciful. So even though they were under a curse, they weren't destroyed completely as a nation. Okay, and then he goes on to say, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. God was calling his people to return to him so that he will return to them. So then he starts his back and forth conversation. But you ask, 
How are we to return, God? How are we to return? And he goes on, he says, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, well, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. The reason that the nation of Israel came under this curse of mammon was because they were stealing God's tithe and keeping it for themselves. Because they did not properly designate the tithe to God, they fell out from under God's protective blessing and they stepped in under the curse of mammon. They still had his mercy because they weren't destroyed. Okay, because God doesn't change. He's always merciful, so Israel wasn't destroyed. But instead, they were given chances to return to God, like this one. Return to me. So Israel wasn't destroyed. Instead, they were given these chances to be in a good and right relationship. And because God doesn't change, he's always just. So when Israel dishonored God by robbing him of the tithe, they disqualified themselves for the blessing and protection of God when it came to their well-being, their fruitfulness, their, their money. They, and they put themselves smack dab dead center in the middle of the curse of mammon. So what was it that brought on this curse of mammon? What is it that positioned Israel to be under the curse? And you've kind of already seen it. Their disregard for the, God's instruction on the tithe. Disregarding God's instructions is disregarding God, right? And disregarding God is dishonoring God. God was telling the Israelites that because they did not bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, they were actually robbing him. It's an act that showed disregard, disrespect, and ingratitude. So I got a little story that kind of maybe you can relate to this. I showed this picture a while back. That's not our actual bobcat, but we had one like that. It was brown like that. That's supposed to be brown. If it's not showing up brown on your camera or your video, I'm sorry. But it was brown, and uh, that was our first car. Pat's in my first car. And it was a Mercury bobcat. It was a 1979, and it was a humble little car, right? I called it a turd on wheels. It was our very own precious little turd mobile. And uh, one time, I left our, our, this car parked in a church parking lot way out in the country. In the middle of four cornfields, it was unlocked, had the key in it. I was leaving it there in case the pastor needed to use it. Well, apparently someone who had escaped from county jail <laughs> happened to be walking on our lonely country road and found this little bobcat with the key in it and unlocked. And he decided he needed it more than the pastor, so he took it. I can't tell you the feeling I had when I found out that our little turdmobile had been stolen. It was like somebody had assaulted me. I felt so violated and indignant, and I just couldn't believe it. I just walked around for hours with my jaw hanging open in disbelief. I was like, I can't believe this actually happened. Somebody actually stole our car. They just took it. It wasn't theirs. It was ours, but they just took it. That's wrong. That's bad. There's not a strong enough word for how bad and wrong that is. That's, I'm not going there. <laughs> Getting robbed is such an offensive, personally violating thing, isn't it? Have you ever been robbed? Have you ever had your house broken into or 
or your purse taken or something just pulled out of your car. My, my brother had like all of his brand new clothes uh, robbed out of his car one time up at the mall. It's like that is such a violating feeling. That guy who took our car, he didn't know us. We didn't know him, but it felt very personal. It was like there was a common sense of trust that was broken. And I hated that, and I had to really kind of work through a lot of emotions. Well, apparently, that's a little bit of how God feels when his people were holding back the tithe. Because he said, you're robbing me. Well, how are we robbing you, God? In tithes and offerings. You've put yourself under a curse because you're robbing me of your tithes and offerings. So that's a little bit of relating to the emotion of it. So what is the tithe anyway? Tithe literally means tenth, if you didn't know that. Tenth or one-tenth or like 10%. Okay, Melchizedek was a person that we learn about in the Old Testament book of Genesis. He shows up and he talks to Abraham for a little bit. And he was this mysterious king called the king of righteousness or the king of peace. And he was like a priest king representing uh, a mediator between God and man. And the New Testament book of Hebrews says that Melchizedek was like a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, the Bible says. Now look at this interesting thing that the New Testament book of Hebrews says about Melchizedek. It says, this Melchizedek was a king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham, who was returning from def the defeat of the kings, and blessed him. Okay, so Abraham had to go in, rescue Lot, so he defeated these kings, and, uh, and he defeated them, and Melchizedek went out to uh, greet him and to bless him. Then it says, and Abraham gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. So this is in the New Testament, talking about Melchizedek. And so the writer to the, to the Hebrews is kind of giving little key uh, clues as to who this Melchizedek guy is. Uh, here's a clue, king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. Uh, here's another clue, king of peace. It's like, huh, that's sounding like somebody I've heard of. I can't think of who that was. Well, then he gives you some more clues. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days, oh, eternally existent from eternity, from the very beginning or before the beginning, without beginning, and, or end of life, so forever, resembling the Son of God. Oh, that's kind of getting specific. <laughs> he remains a priest forever. Essentially, the Hebrew writers is saying that Melchizedek was an Old Testament appearance of the Son of God. Melchizedek was Jesus showing up to Abraham. It's not the only time that Jesus shows up in the Old Testament. He showed up to Jacob and wrestled with him. He showed up in other places. But this, is, this one's interesting because of what Abraham does. He gives Jesus one-tenth of everything he had profited in the Bible, or in the battle. The story in Genesis says that Melchizedek blessed Abraham, and Abraham honored and thanked Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, for the blessing by giving him a tithe. The tithe went to Jesus. So what is the tithe? The tithe is a tenth 
of what we gain that we give to Jesus to honor and thank him for his provision in our lives. That's what a tithe is for us. It's a tenth of all that we gain that we give to Jesus to honor and thank him for his provision in our lives. So that leads to another question. Why, why 10%? Why a tithe? Why 10th? Okay. Uh, why not 5%? 1%. Why not 25%? Why not 50%? Leviticus 27.30 established this very early on. It says, a tithe of everything from the land. This is God talking through Moses. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. That tenth is holy to the Lord. That's his holy portion. And so we, unless we uh, assign that holy portion its separateness, that when we treat it as common, as, as a unholy, then of course it, it, it positions us outside of the blessing. 10% seems to be this number that that God is designated as the amount that properly honors him and that positions us for a blessing. It's not buying a blessing from God. It's positioning ourselves in a place of honoring God. It seems like it's a heart threshold. Like God knows the human heart so well that he knows that 10% given every week or every two weeks or every month, 10% constantly coming out of each and every paycheck and bonus so that we are left with 90% to live on, that's the amount that it takes for us to really start to feel the pinch and know for certain that we are putting our trust in God, not ourselves. It's like it's a heart threshold. That seems to be the minimal amount that it takes to break our hearts away from what Paul calls the love of money and what Jesus called mammon. That seems to be what our hearts need, is that 10%, to break us out of this love of money and this all focus, and i got to have it all. The tithe is holy to the Lord. It belongs to him exclusively. The other 90% is completely under our control to live on, to do with what, as we please, but we set aside that tithe because it's holy, set apart, which is what holy means. Uh, it's that set-apart portion to only be used for, this, for his storehouse. So that leads to another question. Storehouse, what's that? Where does this go? Where are we supposed to be bringing this tithe? Okay, it's back up to Abraham and Melchizedek. We saw that when Abraham gave his tenth, he gave it directly to Melchizedek, the Christ figure. He essentially gave it to Jesus. In Malachi, God says to bring the tithe into the storehouse, the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Okay, so God wants us to bring our tithe to Jesus at his house. Okay, what is this representation of Jesus' house nowadays? Well, in the New Testament, Ephesians, we say, in him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. What's this whole building? It's his church. It's his body of believers, the family of God. And in him, Jesus, you too are being built together. You, you and me, are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. So the representation of the house of God nowadays is Jesus' church 
Jesus' church. The earthly physical expression of his church, his house, is the local church. It is. Uh, in fact, the whole reason we uh, call on our gatherings and our buildings, we call them churches, is absolutely because it is the physical, local, earthly expression of Christ's universal church on earth. Church, very simply, is a local, a church with a little c, is the local physical expression of Christ's church with a big c on earth. It's the local physical expression of Christ's church. And your, prim your primary connection to his church is your local church where you regularly attend and participate in the life and the body of Christ. Your local church is where you participate and connect with Jesus' church. It's where, you think about it. This is where, even if we have to do it online for a little while, okay, this is where you unify with the body of Christ. This is where you link arms with other believers. This is where you do life together in the family of God. Your local church is where you join with others to fulfill Jesus' great commission. This is where you get trained in living the life of a disciple of Jesus. Like this sermon is very much a discipleship kind of sermon. It's where you become engaged in outreach and helping others to grow as disciples. The local church is where you work as, a, as uh, God's team to minister to the world through acts of love and service. Your local church is extremely important for your walk with Christ to be full and complete. You would say, yeah, you're a pastor. You would say that. It's like, you know what? I became a pastor because of that. Okay, I wasn't always a pastor. But because I believe in the local church, and I think that's where it's happening, that's where the kingdom is being expressed on earth, is through the local church at work in local geographies, I became a pastor. There are no lone ranger Christians. Your local church is extremely important for your walk with Christ to be full and complete. Only family members who must act like family and join together regularly and consistently, not lone ranger Christians. Uh, and that's the local church. That's where kingdom living is generated, perpetuated, and sustained in the lives of individual Christians. And so God says, bring the whole tithe to my son Jesus in my house. The tithe goes to our local church. I, I need to make this point because there's a lot of other questions people ask me, and I'm always very gracious, you know, between you and God, what you want to do. But I, I'm going to tell you right now in a sermon, this is what you need to do. Okay? The tithe should be exclusively set aside for God's kingdom-building purposes carried out by the permanent, ongoing, consistent, local expression of his church, your local church. Okay, I don't know what church you go to. We're, we're online. I know uh, my sister-in-law was watching uh, over in California, so she wouldn't tithe to this church. She would tithe to her church, okay? There are many parachurch organizations that Pat and I love and we work with. There's Love, Inc., Okay, we give an offering to them sometimes, and, and, but our tithe goes to our local church where we put down our roots. Uh, there's the Christian radio station. Okay, we're involved there. We give special gifts and offerings to it, but they don't get our tithe. Our tithe goes to our local church where we're putting down roots. There's Celebrate Recovery. We love Celebrate Recovery. We help sponsor this specific ministry of Word of Hope through uh, practical Christian counseling and, and with special offerings from our household. 
on occasion, but our tithe goes into the general fund of our local church to be used according to the budget set by the local church conference. There are lots and lots of opportunities for us to give and support worthy causes, causes in Rapid City and beyond, but none of them gets our tithe. Our tithe is consistently, weekly, given directly to our church. We use online giving. That's why it's consistent. It's every week. It's automatic. And, uh, and I check, and I look, and I get an email saying, thank you for your gift. And it's like, okay, yep. And I check my accounts, and uh, God is blessing. Okay? And based on the Bible study that we just did on, on Genesis, or Malachi and Genesis and Hebrews, I think that it is the most proper thing to do with it to give it to my local church. It is God's holy possession to be designated to his house, which has its earthly representation in the local church where you attend. Now, that's not the end of the story. God attaches some pretty amazing and some pretty phenomenal and remarkable promises to the issue of tithing. He says, test me in this. Do I have it here? What is the blessing connected? He says, test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough to store it. So start giving away. Don't just store it. <laughs> I will prevent uh, pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. Remember a few slides ago uh, at the early part, I said that the curse, the effects of being under the curse is that heaven's flood, floodgates are shut, uh, that pestilence eats your profits, that your efforts bear little fruit, that you're unable to delight in all that you have. Oh, here's uh, more of the verse. Well, the blessing is the opposite, and then some. Heaven's floodgates are open. There's a sense, I feel like I'm being blessed. It, it, it feels like I am under a blessing, that I have a feeling of gratitude for all of God's provisions. Pests are kept from devouring. Stuff isn't wearing out just constantly, okay? And, uh, and it's not just leaking out of my bank account, like evaporating somehow. In fact, when somebody tithes, when they start tithing, they pay closer attention to their money. And that's good, because that's the first principle of, of good money management, is you be in control of where it's going. And so tithing kind of shifts you into that gear. Uh, your efforts bear more fruit. You delight in what you have. You have more of a sense of thankfulness in what you have and, and uh, contentment, okay? And you're called blessed. He says, all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. And as I said at the beginning, I think most money sitting in people's accounts and in corporation accounts and government accounts is really under a curse. And uh, I'm not going to tie that to COVID-19 or anything like that. I'm just saying that, that when we're not tithing, that we open ourselves and expose ourselves to being out from under the blessing of God. This is what I would say. It is much better to live a 90% than ble that's blessed than 100% that's cursed. Think about that. It is so much better to just put my money 
in line with how God intends for it so that he can start blessing that 90%, and that 90% will grow better than 100% would. Uh, 100% that's under God's curse. Trust God for this. Trust God for this. He, he uh, promises it. I, I encourage you to start tithing as soon as you can, but don't stop there. Apply all six of last week's principles to your finances, starting with taking control of where it all goes in the first place. Okay, and then in the notes, I gave you a little four-step uh, way to start tithing. Here, if you haven't already started tithing, if you haven't started this process, jump in here. Just start giving weekly. Make this a habit, a regular habit. I just give every week. Every week I give. I give something, you know, and I, and I, and I just make sure that every, every uh, week I give something. Now, some people don't get paid every week. A lot of people don't, actually. Uh, we don't. Uh, I get paid once a month. Pat gets paid twice a month or every two weeks. We give every week. We just figured out what our annual income is, divided it by 52. We give every week. And that's the way we decided to do it. And I, I feel like that's been really cool. Um, but you may just want to give every time you get a paycheck. Okay? Just start doing it every time. It comes right off the top. It's the first fruits. Okay? Uh, and then at some point, up it to 4%. Instead of just uh, random amounts of spare change, up it to an actual percentage. You're going to live on some percentage anyway, so choose your percentage. So up it to 4%, live on 96. And then do that for a while until that's a habit. And then up it to 7%. See how this goes? And then finally up it to 10%. And you'll find out, it's like, you know what? God blesses this. Uh, John Wesley and, and uh, J.C. Penney, and uh, some other people uh, learned to live on 10%. <laughs> and, and they made that commitment early, and God just blessed that, and they, and they gave away 90%. Um, that would be really cool, actually, if I could get into that mode. All right. So that is that message. That's my challenge to you, is, is to try trusting God with this. Okay, try trusting God with this. He says, test me in this. Test me in this and just see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And, and one way to do it, kind of putting a little bit at a time, is this little four-step process. Just start giving on a regular basis. That's my challenge to you. If, if you're up for that challenge, uh, maybe you want to text me. 391-3949, uh, you can text me, say, I'm going to try this. Uh, or you can email Pastor Liz or myself, uh, scott at wordofhopewesleyan.com or lizall925 at gmail. Or you can even go to wordofhope.info and click on the link that Carabeth put up for us that has prayer requests and I need stuff and use that as your communication card saying, I'm going to try tithing. And that just comes straight to me as an email. Okay? And, uh, and I'll be praying for you and Pastor Liz will be praying for you. Uh, let's close in prayer. Actually, we're not closing. We've got a song, right? Do we have more music? Oh, we got more music. So everybody stand up uh, at your kitchen table or your living room or your bedroom or your garage, wherever you are. Maybe you're in your car and you're watching this on your phone. Okay, that's fine. Uh, hope you're not driving. Pull over, okay? And, uh, and get ready to sing and roll down your windows and raise your hands out there. All right, let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the blessing of you being the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. 
So you are always merciful. And it's like you're just anxious to bless us. You say, test me, test me, try me out here. And, and do it with faith. Do it with faith and see if I won't bless you and make you feel blessed uh, so that you have no's on all 10 questions. We just thank you, God, for your, for your goodness to us. And I do pray, Lord, for your blessing and your provision upon each and every heart tuned in today. In Jesus' name, amen.